What's up, everybody? I hope you're doing well and that you're having a spectacular week. I'm grateful that you would carve out some time during your day to listen to this message and hopefully be encouraged and challenged by God's word. My prayer for you um, is that in our few moments together, it would be worth your time. Um, Not because I have all these incredible good things to say, but because God will speak to you and has something for you. I really believe that. Um, For anyone who hasn't been tracking along with us over the last month, one of our new weekly rhythms for the foreseeable future is to pre-record my messages before Sunday. I know this is a review for a lot of you, but just in case we have someone jumping on here for the very first time, but it's to pre-record my messages before Sunday so that you can listen to them and come to Sunday ready to discuss what God has been teaching you and speaking to you during the week at Zoom Church. And so again, I think it's really good for us to spend our time on Sunday in more of a dialogue format. And so I'm really grateful for those of you that have been speaking up, that have been sharing, especially for those that um, have been open to the idea of leading our conversation and, and sharing with what God has been speaking to you throughout the week as we continue on in our journey through Galatians. Um, I really believe that our church is filled with Many, many voices that have incredible things to say and have some insight and wisdom on how God is speaking to them through his word. And so we're continuing on in our conversation that we're calling Firm Foundations. And this conversation is rooted in the church epistles found in the New Testament. And we begin with Colossians. So if you've missed any of those, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. But now we're working our way through the letter to the Galatians. And our goal during this time is to dive deeper into our faith in Jesus together. Again, we want to be people who continually go deeper in our faith in Jesus. We want to be people that never think we've arrived, that even if we feel like our faith has become dormant or stagnant in some way, that we want to be people who lean in and into a deeper relationship with Jesus so that we could become spiritually mature followers of Jesus. And this is what Paul keeps coming back to spiritually mature followers of Jesus. That is Paul's goal. That is his passion. And and for us as the church today, I think it's important for us to make it our goal as well. And so we know that spiritual maturity um, uh, requires some rhythms, some healthy rhythms in our lives that we need to establish that we're calling firm foundations. And so we've been talking about prayer and worship and reading of scripture, fasting and stillness, making these spiritual rhythms regular parts of your week, incorporating them into your day, not feeling like you have to take a time out from something in order to be still, but really just having it be something that's a regular rhythm in your life, just like eating, just like sleeping, just like watching Netflix, but spiritual rhythms that are alive um, in your daily relationship with Jesus. And so if you, we have a resource, of course, that we've written up and that we've um, given to you. And so I hope you've been able to use that. If you haven't got it, um, please just let us know and we can get that over to you ASAP. So let's dive in Galatians chapter two, verse one. Here we go. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel. I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and have not been running in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. And though he was a Greek, this matter arose because some false teachers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment, so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Now, from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. 
since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John were recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that God had given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me, and Barnabas agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the the rest of the Jews joined the hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even when we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus, this was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners, while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I've tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, and so that I might live with God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live in faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Okay, at the end of this letter, Paul kind of gives us some insight. Um, At the time of it, rather, he gives us some insight on how long he had to be preaching the gospel from town to town. So he tells us that he was really going at it for 14 years years. 14 years is a long time to do anything. At this point, Paul has been going from town to town preaching the gospel for 14 years. And during that 14 years, Paul was pretty much a lone ranger. He admits that. Not because he didn't respect the church leaders that came before him, namely James, John, and Peter. Um, Also, um, those were the three of Jesus' closest inner circle. So they were called um, uh, to, to minister to a completely different group of people. And so James, John, and Peter, who, who Paul refers to as Cephas, um, which was his birth name and was later given a new name, Peter, by Jesus, of course, were called to pastor people that were born Jewish and lead them into a relationship with Jesus. So Peter, James, and John were called to minister to pastor the religious people. And on the other hand, Paul's ministry was centralized around Gentiles who were non-Jewish, non-religious people. And so just like today... Gentiles included the rich, the powerful, the middle class, and the poor. I don't know, for whatever reason, I grew up thinking that Gentiles were second-class citizens, and it's probably because the way that the kids' books portrayed them to be, they always looked sad and deflated and in need, and they looked poor all the time. But as I was studying this passage, a commentator pointed out that that's just not the case. Many Gentiles had great influence, they held positions of power, and were contributing members to society. Many of the Gentiles were actually rich people living in big homes high up on hills. And so Paul's ministry was to the people, rich or poor, who did not have a religious background, which was not really the best look for him, as you can imagine, among the church. 
And so Paul goes on to say something early on here in chapter 2 that I really think is the crux of what ends up shaping everything else Paul would go on to say. And again, if we're not reading scripture slowly, we might miss it. And so I want to look at verse 2 again. So flip back over to verse 2, and this is what Paul says. Listen carefully. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel. I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. Okay. Paul was concerned. Don't miss this. Paul was concerned in his preaching of the gospel of freedom that he might be off base. Not because necessarily of his past belief in the law of salvation. There was contributing thoughts of who he was, how he was a good Jewish religious leader at one point, right? But Paul was concerned in his preaching of the gospel of freedom that he might be off base a little bit. Why? Because Paul tells us, and and, and essentially Paul didn't want to go any further in his ministry, second guessing himself or questioning the way that he was articulating the gospel. I felt that way sometimes growing up in the church, right? Like, am I communicating the gospel, the true gospel in a clear and concise way? Is what I'm saying actually true? Is it convicting people to turn to a relationship with Jesus? And so Paul doesn't want to go any further in his ministry. Again, he's been going at it for 14 years, so he needs to take a time out. And he and he needs to visit the pillars of Christianity, um, which we learned is Peter, James, and John. And they actually duked it out a little bit because Paul saw some hypocrisy in their lives, right? So he comes to them wanting to gain some wisdom. He comes to them wanting to get some insight, which he does. But he tells us that through this relationship with Peter, he goes on to call him out. He says, when you're around Jews, you act like a Jew. But when you're around Gentiles, you act like a Gentile. But when you're around both, you act like you don't even know the Gentiles, right? And all through that, James, John, and Peter end up signing off on Paul's gospel of freedom. And and they only made one request to him. And that request was this, that he remembers the poor. What an amazing charge. What an amazing vision or value to keep in your mind, to remember the poor. Why? Because this is what Jesus asked of us. And so Peter, James, and John remember watching Jesus and his interaction, his love, his care for the poor, right? Jesus came to the world and took on the form of a poor man in a lowly society. And Jesus made himself very clear. If you want to follow me, never lose sight of the poor in your community. Like I can go on and on a tangent right now, but I won't. But but this is this is what fuels the church, guys. This is how you know if a church is really pursuing Jesus is whether or not they're doing what what they is doing what they do with the poor in mind, right? That like it's not a church that ignores the poor. It's not just a church that serves the rich, but it's a church that does everything they do with the poor in their mind, which is the conviction behind the family center. The family center is so much more than just giving food and diapers away to people. It's so much more than just serving a couple hours during the week. It's our way to remember the poor and serve those that Jesus would serve, that society has potentially overlooked. So Paul sets back out and he goes and gets on with his ministry. And as we saw in Colossians, Paul's message was the gospel of freedom. His bottom line was that you don't have to do anything to earn God's love. 
not because of how great you are, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, right? The cross made a way for God to love you just as much as he loves Jesus. That right there is a profound thought. The cross made a way for God to love you just as much as he loves Jesus. When when God looks at you right now, he sees Jesus. His love for you is equal to that of Jesus. And so Paul's message is stop trying to earn God's love. It's a waste of your time and you will not find freedom in captivity. And so as a result of this gospel of freedom, Paul gained some adversaries along the way. And they're enemies. They're, and they, they, they actually infiltrate the churches that he's planted, sowing a message of Jesus plus law. That your salvation is contingent on obeying the law of Moses. And if you don't obey the law of Moses, then your conversion was not real. This is what they taught. This is what the false teachers within the church in the first century were preaching. Now, does this message sound familiar? Yes. Many churches today preach this same message, right? If you're a real Christian, then you can't drink alcohol. You can't smoke. You can't watch R-rated movies. You can't listen to certain kinds of music. You might have grown up at church like that. You can't dance. You must dress a certain way. You, you, you can't have any tattoos. Man, I'm checking myself off the list here. I'm like, okay, that's all right. I'm in a lot of trouble here with all these. You must vote a certain way. You must speak in tongues. Listen, the list goes on and on and on. Where, the, where people actually preach a message of Jesus plus something. Now, we have progressed as culture in the West. Now, you, it may be hard to actually find a church that would say all these things, but this mindset is still very much alive and well. Maybe there's a small, quiet voice even in your own head that still battles the equation of Jesus plus something equals salvation. And maybe there are people in your life that subscribe to this equation and their eyes are on you and the pressure you feel as a result is anything but freedom. So the purpose of the gospel is so much more than articulating what God did for you in the past. The purpose of the gospel, and this is what Paul is after here, is to free your soul from the things that hold you captive today. So here's a question for you. If the gospel is all about freedom, how do you know if your soul is free? How do you know if your soul is free? Because here's what I know. You don't stumble your way into freedom. There is actually a process that your soul needs to go through in order to discover freedom. And so Paul mentions the process of finding freedom in chapter 2 through two primary ways. He talks about cultural freedom and emotional freedom. Cultural freedom and emotional freedom. And the gospel really speaks into both of those. So let's explore each of them. The first one, the gospel leads to cultural freedom. That's my first point. The gospel leads to cultural freedom. In the first century, culturally, it was expected that all males must become circumcised after a declaration of faith. I know that kind of sounds weird to us today, but this is what it was like in the first century. So circumcision was actually the litmus test on how serious you were about putting your faith in God, if you were a male, obviously. And as a result, many Gentile males would get circumcised. And so as you read through the New Testament, this is a reoccurring debate within the church. And there are many strong opinions on both sides of the aisle. This is a cultural issue that Paul sets out to fight. This is a cultural issue that Paul sets out to undo. And he really gives his entire life 
and his ministry to getting this off the table, to reshaping the mentality and the practice and the salvation system probably is a better word that was alive and well within the church. And so we see here that a man named Titus, who goes on to have a a book named after him in the New Testament, he was one of Paul's right-handed men. And he refused to get circumcised. He was Greek, Paul tells us. And he is actually one of the very first ones that said, I am not going to get circumcised, which actually in tune set the church in a new direction that it didn't just proclaim cultural freedom, but actually lived it in a tangible way, right? I'm not suggesting, by the way, that Jesus followers need to be rebellious, anti-culture type people. Those people are quite honestly really annoying. There are many good things about our culture that we ought to embrace. But what I am suggesting is that in order for the gospel of freedom to take root in your life, you must be set free from cultural expectations. And cultural expectations that I feel might be different than ones that you would feel. Maybe there is some crossover, but here's what I know. There are a lot of cultural expectations where we live in Orange County, right? They're they're centered around hitting milestones as you progress in age. You must get this degree, make this amount of money. You must live in this kind of neighborhood, drive this kind of car, wear these kinds of clothes, have this number of followers on the socials, be around these kinds of people, give this much money away, pray this way or pray that way, or be this spiritual. Listen, I could go on and on all day about cultural expectations that are holding the church captive today, which make it really difficult to receive the freedom gospel that Paul is pleading for the church to receive. So how do you know if your soul has been set free from cultural expectations? Here's what I would say. Identify the things in in the culture that hold your soul captive and take it to Jesus and ask him to set you free from it. You have to ask yourself that question. What are the things in culture that are holding my soul captive? Identify that thing and take it to Jesus and let him set you free from it. Um, I want to encourage you to explore what that might be for you. I can't do that work for you. You must do it yourself. But I will pray for you. And my prayer is that the gospel of freedom would wash over you in a fresh way and that you would be able to receive it because you've walked away from cultural captivity. Number two, The gospel leads to emotional freedom. Verse 16 um, says this, that we are justified not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Emotional freedom, it's important for us to understand. Emotional freedom from a biblical understanding is not so much rooted in what you feel, although feelings are important and helpful, but rather what you know. Let me say that again. Emotional freedom from a biblical understanding is not so much rooted in what you feel, but rather what you know. Why? Because what you know determines how you feel, right? You can't feel properly until you know truth. For example, um, the news this week about another black man named George Floyd who was murdered by, by white men. I don't know if you were able to watch the video or if you even want to. I watched it. And it was the hardest thing I've seen in a very, very long time. Actually, I wish I didn't see it. I'm glad I did. But it was really difficult to watch. If you haven't watched it, maybe you should. Especially if you haven't been emotionally impacted by what happened to him. If you just heard it on the news and you're like, oh yeah, just another guy dies. um, I would actually encourage you to go watch this video. Um, Everyone I know that watched the video experienced a stronger emotional feeling. Mostly anger and then grief because of what they saw happen to this man. 
In other words, from what they know happened to George Floyd, right? What they saw happened, what went into their mind actually fed into an emotional feeling. I saw a post somewhere and, and the person wrote, I don't know where it was. I can't remember, but he, the person wrote this and, and I'm summing this up. Like, can you imagine what has happened to people of color that, that, that has not been captured on video? In other words, can you imagine what has happened to all kinds of people of color that the video has not captured? And what they mean by that is that what happened to George Floyd has been happening to black men and black women and um, all kinds of minorities for hundreds of years. And the reason people can go on with their lives without experiencing much emotional or racial inequality is because of the naivety and the ignorance of the vast majority of people, right? But when you, when you see something like this video and you are awakened to what is really going on and you want to be true and you want to know the truth, then what makes it into your heart and you begin to feel like this anger and sadness and disgust and grief, right? I'm hoping this is making some sense. But we, before we can feel those feelings, we have to really know the truth. And so feelings are secondary emotions. Feelings come from knowing. And so what does this have to do with anything? When Paul says, that you are justified by faith, not by works. What he's saying is that justification comes from knowing God through Jesus. And I think this is important because oftentimes we can limit our relationship to God with how I feel on a given moment. So if I'm, I'm feeling good, then my relationship with God is good. But if I'm feeling bad, then my relationship with God isn't so good. Our feelings can hold us captive and they can inhibit us from growing in our relationship with Jesus. Again, feelings are not bad. Please don't misunderstand me. They are good. They are just secondary to knowing. And so scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Scripture doesn't say, be still and feel that I am God. Our feelings, if we're not careful, can hold our souls and our minds captive. And so in Paul's letters to the church, he never asked them to stop feeling. To feel is to be human, but he did instruct them to knowingly come back to God and who he is and what he's done for you. To let our knowing of God ground and stabilize our feelings. So it's okay to feel a lot. I just want to say that it's okay to feel a lot. In fact, we have quite a few people in our community who are deeply empathetic and I'm grateful for them. Our world needs more empathetic people. It's a beautiful thing. But what keeps our emotions and our feelings from taking us captive is our knowing of Christ and that he is all about restoring and renewing. As a result, we can obey him, not because we have to, but because we trust him, right? That we come to Jesus with all of our emotions and we know that he wants to set us free so that we can get on living a life of gracious gratitude. In the midst, by the way, of evil, pain, change, and uncertainty. Paul knows that if Jesus followers become people who allow their emotional feelings to come before emotional knowing, then we're at serious risk of missing out on the gospel of freedom. And I don't want to live that way. I don't want you to live that way. To understand emotional freedom, we have to begin with knowing God. When knowing God is the primary focus, I believe everything else will work itself out. So the process of cultural freedom 
And emotional freedom must be something that you're willing to walk through and in for however long it takes. For some people, it may take a little bit longer than others. But according to Paul, the outcome from cultural freedom and emotional freedom within those who are in Christ Jesus is a unified community. I wish I had more time to talk about that. I don't. But that's what freedom leads to. Freedom leads to a unified community. And I don't think there's anything else more powerful in the world today than a unified church, a people who are pursuing and walking in freedom together, a community where no one is being held captive, not to culture and not to emotions. There's no better time, I think, for the church to rise up than, than, than in this pandemic even, for our church and our community to make a decision today that we're committing to the process of freedom. And we just want to work and we just want to allow Jesus to work and allow his work in us to be done, um, that we want his kingdom to come down on earth as it is in heaven, in your own personal space, in your own personal um, life, so that the world will be changed around us. You know, I know that this has been a tough few weeks for many of you, um, for a lot of different reasons, probably, but I'm encouraged um, by the words of Jesus that's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus is giving us permission to mourn. And I think it's important to note that freedom doesn't always mean restoration and renewal. That's ultimately where it ends up, right? But in the meantime, freedom can also look a lot like comfort. It can look a lot like rest. It can look a lot like peace over your soul. Freedom is found in Jesus, and Jesus is with you wherever you are, And with whatever you have going on in your life right now, he is with you and he wants to comfort you. Jesus' promise to you is that in your mourning, he will comfort you. Do you really believe that? That when you mourn, the promise that Jesus gives you is he will comfort you. And that your mourning will one day turn into laughter. But I want to encourage you, don't rush the mourning. Allow him to meet you in it. And allow his work to be done in you right now. His comfort will be like anything else you can find anywhere else. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I just want to lift up those to you right now um, who have heavy hearts. Those who are mourning and grieving something or someone. I'm grateful that you know them by name. That you know exactly what they need right now. So Lord, I pray that they would open up their hearts, souls, and minds to you right now. I ask, Lord, that you would comfort them in a unique way. And in your comfort, would they experience the freedom of the gospel? Would they know that they are loved by you unconditionally? That you love them just as they are, and they can come to you honestly and wholly without reservation, guilt, or shame. And Lord, as we look upon our world And we see all the evil, the hate, the racism and injustice. Lord, we live in a very broken world that we know that this is not how things are supposed to be. This is not your plan for the world. Father, would would your presence fill this earth quickly? Would you come, Lord Jesus, come? We need you more now than ever. But in the meantime, Lord, would you have mercy on us? Would we represent you well in this world? Would you fill us with gratitude and would we live graceful and peaceful lives for your, for your gospel? 
And would we love people the same way that you love us? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to this message. Again, I hope it encouraged you. I'm praying that you will receive the gospel of freedom today. I'm looking forward to discussing chapter 3 with you on Sunday. I can't wait to hear, excuse me, chapter 2 with you on Sunday. 3 will be next week. But I can't wait to hear what Jesus has been teaching you this week. I love you all so much.